Thursday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. It's all about educating yourself, and they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So again, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW to save 15% off. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it's Thursday, which means our weekly MMA show with my guest, Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what's going on today? Man, I feel like you're a little bit more perky today. You're a little more happy than usual. I wonder why that is, Colby. Happy? Um, I, I don't know about happy. I, I, it's been a wild week. There's been a lot happening. Um, I, th- you probably sense um, my franticness just with so many moving parts to everything I'm dealing with this week. That's probably what you're sensing. But if you want to <laughs> rewind back to last Saturday night, there was a significant amount of happiness just flowing through my veins. Yeah, and uh, it was definitely the opposite for me. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we'll get, we're going to have to get into it. But yeah, I, I definitely sense a lot of laughs from you today. So I mentally put myself in a headspace to be laughed at today. So I'm ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I mean, there might be a situation where at some point during this, I just say, what the hell were you thinking? Uh, so be prepared for that because that's coming. Uh, and, I'm ready, man. All right, all right. So um, let's let's go back to UFC 260 on Saturday night. Look, the bottom line is, and I don't think it can be understated, Saturday night was monstrous for the UFC. The fact that you have Francis Ngannou now as the face of the most popular division in the sport. I mean, he is the heavyweight king. He is the scariest heavyweight we've ever seen in this sport. And for him to show us another level of his game, for him to show us sophistication, as Joe Rogan likes to say, for him to show us the patience to execute a game plan on top of just the physical gifts that he already possesses, home run for the UFC I think this guy is a massive draw in terms of what they can do with him in this heavyweight division. And look, Will, we've talked about this for weeks. There's been a changing of the guard in the heavyweight division anyway. There's so many new, young, fresh faces. We've seen some of these older guys get released by the UFC. It's a new division. And now you have a new champion. And, uh, you know, as far as Dana White is concerned, you know, I don't know whether he has rooting interest in something like that, but... Look, I'll tell you this. I have I have a lot of friends that I wouldn't say are MMA fans, but you know they pay attention to it from time to time. The majority of those people are far more likely to watch a Francis Ngannou fight against random opponent than a Stipe Miocic fight. And and I I don't think that is anything negative towards Stipe. Stipe is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, but I think there's a there's a Mike Tyson level of excitement when Francis enters the octagon that, you know, we talk about this with guys like Conor McGregor that somewhat supersedes the everyday fans and kind of makes its way to, you know, the people that may watch one UFC card per six months. Uh, and if, if they're watching one, you know, it's probably Conor McGregor or maybe in this case, Francis Ngannou has, has taken his seat in that department. Yeah, man, this was a uh, best case scenario for the UFC because uh, Francis not only, he's been the scariest heavyweight in the UFC for since he basically walked in the walked in the door. 
uh, knockouts uh, of the baddest men on the planet and everything. Um, but, you know, now we talk about how scary he is, and now he's got the belt on him. So when you when you say the, the phrase, baddest man on the planet, like, that, that is Francis Ngannou. Like, there's nobody else that even gives you that image. Like, when you see Francis Ngannou, the 6'4", 265, I mean, probably weighs more on fight day, like, cut, like, ripped, like, muscles, you know, he's he is jacked, and then with the power he possesses, and then, just like you said, adding that extra layer to his game to show you that he's getting better, I mean, that's scary for the entire UFC, and the drawing power that Francis could have, I mean, I could go and I could tell my friends, like, man... Stipe and DC are fighting. It's going to be a great fight. And then, or then I could tell them, man, Francis Ngannou's fighting. He's probably going to knock this guy out in like a minute or two. You're going to have to keep your eyes on it. I mean, my, people are more likely going to watch Francis Ngannou than be like, uh, you know, a good MMA, MMA fight. I mean, whatever. Right. I mean, but everyone wants to see knockouts. And uh, Francis Ngannou, that's, that's what he does. That's his calling card. It's, so, a, it's a Mike uh, Tyson-like, I think, uh, level of excitement, right? Like, this thing could end in 20 seconds. Yeah, it could end in 20 seconds. And then you're just waiting. I remember w when the fight started, my heart was pounding out of my chest like we talk about because you just didn't know, like, what Francis' approach is going to be. But, you know, to see him just kind of labored back, it was just kind of like, wow, like, at any moment, he's going to explode. You're just kind of waiting on it. And I feel like that that intrigue, just how excited that uh, Francis will get you, uh, that just adds to the drawing power of him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, so that fight starts, and, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm standing up, heart's beating a million miles an hour. I'm like, holy cow, this is about to go down. Like, it's actually happening. Uh, can't wait for this. You know, and again, Francis Ngannou, Last four fights have been first-round KOs, the longest being a minute, 11 seconds. So there's that level of anticipation that, like, as soon as they say go, is he going to be, you know, in Stipe's face throwing wild punches? Like, I, I, I think we were all just kind of curious, like, what version were we going to see? And the fact that he came out, he was very patient. And look, I, I thought when he landed that, that first leg kick looked like it, it had a lot of heat behind it and that Stipe felt it. And when, when he was very patient delivered the leg kick, didn't jump on top of Stipe after it, just kind of like played the game. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, obviously, you know, he's been, it, it, this looks like a different Francis than we've seen in a long time. And then the takedown defense, at that point, I was like, okay, I, uh, I, I just don't see, I don't see Stipe winning this fight. If, if Francis Ngannou can defend a takedown take that well on top of just the, the pure striking power um, I, I just don't know where this thing ends in Stipe's favor. So for me, it was it started with the leg kick, just kind of being like, okay, the leg kick, the patience, uh, the not just going into an all-out brawl out of the gate, and then the takedown uh, defense was like the – that that sealed it for me. I was just like, all right, we're looking at a different animal now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. The fight starts. You know, they walk to the center of the octagon. You know, my heart's pounding. Um and just to see him patient, because I, I expected him to be more patient, but I didn't, didn't expect him to be that patient. You know, I expected him to have, like, just, you know, times where he just explodes and just lets loose and just see if uh, he can land one. Uh, but I didn't think that he would just come out like he did in the first fight and just kind of just be wild. 
So to see him kind of labor back and just kind of chill, I kind of expected that part. Uh, the leg kicks were phenomenal, like you said. But, you know, at, the more patient that he was, I was just kind of thinking more of, uh, of Stipe because I remember hearing him say in the interview, um, I'm going to see what Francis does and then I'm going to adjust from there. If Francis is just kind of labored back, like Stipe is going to have to think of ways to get inside. And as I'm as I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, I don't like this. Like, I don't like the, the thought of Stipe having to be the one to initiate uh, going in and everything. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, back and forth, you know, uh, leg kick here and there. And then uh, Francis landed a, a haymaker. And uh, Stipe kind of ate it, you know, and I was kind—I felt good about it. I was like, okay, you know, Stipe's good. You know, he didn't, you know, he didn't get rocked. Right. Like, a lot of a lot of other guys that we've seen, like the last his last four opponents, and even before Stipe, uh, all the ones before that, if they would have took that shot. That they're that's sleeping night night for them. Yeah. yeah, they're sleeping. So Stipe ate that. So I started to feel a little a little good about it. But once Stipe shot him for the takedown, and Francis just kind of defended it as well as he did and then the, the sprawl like that's what did it for me this the sprawl and i was like oh man because now steve has have to he's he has to stand with him for longer than he wants to and then now he knows that francis sees these takedowns like he knows like i'm not gonna rush him because i know the takedown's coming so now so now steve has to stand in front of him and francis has even more of a chance to land that big shot so then he lands this head kick and it, it didn't land, like, fully flush, but, like, his three toes kind of clicked uh, Stipe in the chin. And Stipe ate that, too. So I started to feel a little, a little good. Also, I was like, <laughs> okay, Stipe, Stipe's eating these. Like, you know, he's good. You know, he's, he's in the, the best shape of his life. You know, he's not – he's taking these shots, and he's good. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good about this. And then as far as Stipe taking shots, I'm feeling really good about it. Yeah. So I was like, if he if he can just, you know, continue to take these shots, kind of wear them down, eventually the takedown's going to come. First round ends, and, you know, Francis did win that first round. But in the second round, man, you know, all hell broke loose, and the fight ended the way it did. Uh, it's just a shame because you, you would think that uh, Stipe have, would have, you know, better fight IQ uh, in a situation like that, knowing how tough that or how hard that Francis hits. Um, he, uh, Francis dropped him with that shot, with that jab, crazy jab, dropped him. And, uh, Stipe with that pullback, right. That he knocks out everybody with hit Francis with it. Francis ate that <laughs> Stipe ran at him and you don't do that against a guy like Francis. You don't run at him with your hands down and your chin up. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think that Stipe deserves an insane amount of credit for eating the, the shots that he did eat before the eventual... Right you know, killer landed uh, because, I mean, you mentioned it. I, I don't know how many other heavyweights on planet Earth eat that first punch or even that kick. And, you know, even if the kick wasn't a knockout type of kick, uh, for Stipe to basically be unfazed by it, uh, it wasn't right. even something that, like, wobbled him or, you know, gave Francis any indication that, hey, he's weak, He you know, go, go seize the opportunity. Um you know, Stipe's always been given a lot of credit for his chin and his ability to take those shots. And from the baddest man on the planet, he took some massive shots in that first round. Yeah, absolutely took some massive shots. And like he says, you know, it's just those punches that you don't really see coming that hurt you. And Francis or uh, Stipe saw those punches 
those punches coming. And, you know, as hard as Francis hits, you know, Stipe Athos, so uh, massive credit to him. Um, you know, the shot that did drop him, though, um, just, you know, it was the left jab and then that right jab just kind of came like right behind it. And, you know, Stipe couldn't have seen that because it was so fast. You know, Francis is very explosive. Uh, so, you know, just that just shows, man, like even though he's a big puncher, like that's a he's a pretty creative striker as well. Yeah. And uh, look, the fact that they were both standing there uh, to be to, for Francis to get the belt after the shot he ate after he was down. Uh, I was like, oh, like. You know, we all we all do the oh when there's a knockout, but there was like a second one after he got knocked out, and then Francis delivers the you know the kill shot uh, before the referee jumps in, and I was like, oh my god, like I, he may not be standing for for you know Francis to get the belt around his waist, and once again he's standing right there, and I'm like, holy cow, for this dude to even take that shot and still you know be be upright to me was crazy. Yeah, I mean, just when he when he ate that shot, when he took that shot, and then the way he fell with his knee, and all was like all bent backwards, and I was like, ah, like that could be like yeah. a torn ACL or whatever. Yeah. And then the follow up shot, like, yeah, and then for him to be standing after that and to still be transparent, I mean, we don't know how his speech is now, but um, just for him to still be transparent and just to be able to uh, shake Francis' hand, let him know, good job getting it done. Uh, you know, that's just good to see, but yeah. man, uh, he took some big shots for sure. Yeah. And, and I do want to give it up to the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, Stipe Miocic. I, I know that it's kind of been a like week long Francis festival now that there, there's a new heavyweight champion and you know, all the, which we'll get into in a second, the conversation about what's next and, and the fights to make and the, the possibilities, but Stipe was a great champion and a, a guy that, you know, obviously I, I think Anybody that is associated with the sport says nothing but great things about the champion that he was and just the, the dude, right? Absolutely. Stipe, like, I really don't feel like there's many bad things that people can say about Stipe. I mean, a lot of the guys that he fights just give the, the utmost respect for him. He's so likable. Yeah, he's so likable. He's not one of those guys that goes out here to try to promote fights as far as talking noise. Uh, he just goes out there, does his job. Like he's a firefighter outside of the sport. Um, he has a, a beautiful family, uh, and all he does is come in and just and fight. He he's ultra competitive, uh, and you know we I, I, we knew right. Like Francis wins the title, he's gonna get all the publicity. Yeah. You know everything's gonna be about Francis, and Steve has just kind of kind of get you know tossed to the side a little bit because we know about um, the talks about what's next and everything, but. Um, yeah, Stipe should definitely be way more appreciated than he is. He was an excellent heavyweight champion, um, had the trilogy with DC. Um, he really showed that heavyweights, um, heavyweights are known to have this big power. But Stipe showed, like, he can have big power and you can also have massive, massive skill and technique and be a, a, a well-rounded mixed martial artist. So um, Stipe should get uh, way more credit than um, he's been getting. Yeah. Um, my, my outburst on the knockout, by the way, and, and for those that, uh, that maybe missed last week's show, I picked Francis Ngannou to win. You picked Stipe Miocic and, and we have this competition happening. So this isn't a, I, you know, I'm hoping for Francis to beat Miocic in that way. It's just a, I, I want my pick to be right. So I win the points and you don't. Um, <laughs> I think I screamed and knew MFers. Uh, like on the knockout, 
uh, I was, yeah, I was pretty excited. Well, um, I'll get into my demeanor about this whole thing um, because there's something else that happened before this. But yeah, um, you were already uh, sulking a little bit. Yeah. Oh man, it, it was it was bad. So I was starting to get excited, right? With Steve eating those shots, I was starting to get excited again. And then just when he got dropped, I was like, "He's good, he's good." When he when he landed the pullback, right? Oh, he's good, he's good. And then yeah, sure enough, he ran back at him. And then when he dropped, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was standing up, and then it's you know safe to say I was sitting down pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, tough, tough night, man. Tough night. And, and look, this is the second one where I kind of felt like, because you got to go back to the, the Jan Blahovich-Izzy fight, where it kind of felt like the entire MMA community was picking Stipe to win this. I mean, I didn't hear anybody that, that you know, I pay attention to throughout the week and, and you know, like to listen to their opinions on. I, I don't think I heard anybody pick Francis in this fight. And a lot of it just had to do with Stipe being more well more well-rounded and obviously having the chin that he has, like, you know, he's, he's probably not going to go down with just a single shot. Uh, and if you don't take him out, you're going to have to go the distance with him and out execute him and all that stuff, which I totally got. But I also felt like, you know, Francis is just, there has been a long time that has passed since these guys fought the last time. And even if Francis is still knocking everybody out in 20 seconds since that point, he's a completely different fighter with, insanely more experience than he had at that point. And if you think that he didn't learn anything from that first fight, like the guy wants to be a world champion, unless he's just wasting his time in the gym every day, there had to be some sort of idea that he was going to have a better game plan and that he was going to work on some of those skills. Now, did I expect him to look that good against a takedown? Absolutely not. Uh, But like, I I just kind of felt like there was this perception that, Francis was just going to go in and be the knockout guy, and that was going to be all there was to it. And not that, you know, these guys fought. It's, it feels like forever ago. Francis was a very green fighter at that point, and while he, he hasn't accrued a ton of octagon time since then, a lot of time has passed for him to work on all of those skills. Yeah, so I, I think it goes back to since they fought, we've seen Francis just kind of, you know, he had that fight with Derek Lewis that was just kind of, you know, whatever – you know, he wasn't the, he wasn't the same guy. Yeah. So and then he reels off four in a row, just knocking guys out. Right. Yeah. So you kind of don't really understand, like, what Francis has been working on. If anything, if he has been working on something, we haven't seen it in in these fights since he last fought Stipe. Yeah. But then we've seen Stipe fight one of the most skilled, well-rounded fighters in UFC history in D.C. three times. And we've seen uh, Stipe make championship adjustments, improvements, that type of thing. Right. He's changed his body, uh, way more fit. He's got um, abs. You know, he, he had uh, dropped about 10, 12 pounds. So, you know, like, he's been able to take some uh, some big shots and, you know, take it on the chin and just be good. So we, I think we've seen more improvements from Stipe in championship-level fights to where Francis, we've seen him just kind of run through people and one thing that I didn't uh, take into consideration that I heard someone say uh, this week, Stipe has been worried about DC for the last three years. So yeah. he's really been having to lock in and, and focus on, on DC. Francis, while he has been uh, running through these guys, he's known that the, the route to a championship goes through Stipe and DC. So he's right. known 
what exactly he has to work on. He has to work on takedown defense. He has to work on stamina. He has to work on having better fight IQ. Francis has been knowing that he has to work on these things for since he lost to Stipe. So Stipe is kind of just, you know, dealing with DC. Now that that's over, he's, his mind is back on Francis. But Francis has been, his, his eye has been on Stipe since that fight. So he's known what he's had Absolutely. to improve on with Stipe. And uh, it definitely showed in the fight because, you know, we know that Stipe's route to victory was to land, get takedowns and tire him out. Francis was, he had that well-trained, like you can tell. Uh, he, he had been drilling that for months. And, and it, for him to bring in a guy like Usman to have in his corner, I mean, that was just phenomenal on his part. And, you know, it definitely showed, man. Francis definitely um, made massive adjustments and massive improvements. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because I, I don't think I even asked you this last week. Uh, did, did you think the first fight was close? No. Uh, there, like, after the first round, it was all steep. Like, there could have been some 10-8 rounds in there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so so I I also heard this this week, uh, which I, I think is also a great point. The first fight was a very green Francis Ngannou that didn't have a lot of skills, that obviously didn't have cardio, that was a completely different guy against peak Stipe. I mean, that was, that was peak Stipe. Stipe was at his best, and it went the yeah. distance, and Stipe didn't finish Francis. So... You know, you can look at that on the other side of it where, you know, Francis has obviously had a lot of time now. And, you know, he lost to a guy. It went the distance. Um, I, I'm with you. I thought Stipe completely dominated that fight. First round was amazing. And then it was then it was all Stipe. But, um, again, you're talking about a guy that's at the peak of his powers against a guy that, you know, at that point even, we all thought, like, hey, this guy has something to him, but I don't think anybody thought like he's in his prime or this is the best that Francis Ngannou has. So uh, that that's the other part. I, I wouldn't say that Stipe still going into this fight was at that same level. Obviously the wars with DC, I'm sure in some way takes it out of you a little bit. And then for Francis, you know, he's, he's physically and from a maturity standpoint at a, at a whole different level now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah. Stipe was definitely at his peak. I mean, the way he was beating people back then, I mean, these fights weren't even close. And Francis, while he made a big splash and was knocking everybody out, I mean, we didn't really know, like, much about him outside of, you know, the big knockout power. So right. we didn't know what would happen when he got taken down or went or going into the championship rounds, like how yeah. you know he would adjust. And we saw what happened. You know, we saw that he was very green and he had a lot of stuff to work on. And just throughout that time, he's, he's made changes in his body. He made change in his camp. Um, he's he's always at the PI working out with with guys. So, you know, Francis made the uh, the proper adjustments. While Stipe, you know, he's made championship adjustments, but you know, he's had a lot of wars. He's had a lot of. Uh, he got knocked out by uh, DC. He had the war with Francis the first time. That took a lot out of him. Um, and that second fight with DC, DC was beating him was beating him upside the head for. For, for four rounds, basically, until Stipe made that adjustment and started going yeah. to the body. And then uh, the third fight went the distance, but that was no easy fight. That was a war, another war. So, you know, Stipe definitely left a part of him in that um, in that DC trilogy. But still, man, um, it, that, that was peak Stipe that we saw. 
and now we're seeing uh, Francis. He, he hasn't even scratched the surface of what his peak could be. Right. But that was just that was just a little a little example of what we could see going forward. And it's scary to even think about. Yeah. The scary part is that the physicality has always been there, right? Like he's a big dude. He's bigger than everybody else. There was a 30 pound weight difference uh, for these guys at the weigh in. I, I, I don't even know what it was on fight night, but you would assume that it's, it was still extremely significant. Um, and for him to, to not only be the physical specimen, but to add the layers to his game and to add the fight IQ. And look, I, I think outside of the one shot that he did take in the second round right before the KO, uh, which I, I think you can also maybe credit the KO to taking that shot because Stipe it gave him some confidence. Um, it was, I mean, that was a near perfect performance from Francis Ngannou. Absolutely, because, I mean, he, he barely got touched. Uh, I mean, outside of some leg kicks here and there from Stipe and then the takedown attempt, like, um, he did a good job of controlling the distance and uh, making it dangerous for Stipe to even think about coming in. Stipe really had to, like, time his uh, his shot that he – the shot that he did take, uh, he had to time it really well, and Francis was still able to uh, to defend that takedown. So, um, yeah, that was a near-perfect performance. He definitely won the first round, and then the second round, you know – he and I heard him say it, uh, today in an interview, like he knew that he heard him, but even though he heard him, he had in his mind, like, don't go crazy, calm down, yeah. back up. Like, just for him to have that fight IQ after he's had so many knockouts over these last few, over these last four fights, now he knows I'm in a championship fight against the greatest heavyweight of all time. Got to be smart. And for him to have fight IQ like that, like that, it's it's scary for the for the heavyweight division. And then on top of that, I also heard him say that he cut weight to get to to make the two hundred sixty five pound limit. He weighed in at two sixty three. He literally said that he could not cut any more weight. That's incredible to me. <laughs> like, and then it makes me wonder, like, how big was he on fight day? Like, right? I wonder what he weighed on fight day. He can't cut any less than two sixty three. Like that. That's just insane. Like, wow. Yeah, it, Fra Francis and Ghana, man, it's gonna be, it's gonna take, it's gonna take a lot to beat that man. <laughs> Handicap it's match. Take a lot. <laughs> yeah, bring it. Put it. Yeah. Put four guys in there against him. Yeah, something. Well, uh, yeah, we'll go over those possibilities in a second. All right, co-main event was Vicente Luque and T Wood Tyron Woodley, former welterweight champion of the world. Uh, Will, this is where I ask the question, what the hell were you thinking? Uh, we were on the opposite sides of this, and and I just, you know, I, I simply said last week, when you look at this fight, I, I and and I, I wanted to see a different T-Wood, right? Like, this is a guy that we all watched um, as as a champion and a, you know, one of the, the top fighters in, in all of MMA uh, to see, you know, what he's put in the octagon the last few times, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of breaks you a little bit just because, you know, you, you are so used to seeing this completely different version of the guy. So while I, I think there was a, a wishful thinking type mentality from me as far as seeing something different, going back to the Usman fight and to follow that up with the 10 rounds that we watched against Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington, uh, I think for me, the only expectation I had was just, I hope that we see more activity. But as far as seeing this guy against a, a guy that's as dangerous as, as Luke, uh, 
Um, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it would have had to have been just a completely different fighter for him to, to come out and win that fight, in my opinion. That, that was why Luque was a really easy pick for me. Um, but I, I, will, I will say this about Woodley. Uh, again, a, a guy that, uh, that you know, I was a big fan of. Um, I, I, the, ver- the very first UFC card I ever went to, he was on the card, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've, just, I've liked him for a long time. I at least appreciated the fact that he was active in this fight and not an observer of the fight from inside the octagon because that's what it felt like against Gilbert Burns. That's what it felt like against Colby Covington. It felt like he was an observer of the fight as a participant of the fight. Uh, so I, I wanted to see him active. I wanted to see him fight with some urgency because it felt like that was lacking. We did see that, and some have suggested that maybe that was the you know the cause of the downfall in this fight. But I, I will at least give him credit for turning up the activity, for, for hitting the gas pedal and going forward and bringing the fight to Luque as opposed to just accepting the fight coming his direction. <sighs> Man, okay, well, lots to unpack here. Yep. But, yeah, so for for me, uh, yeah, I've liked Woodley for a long time. Uh, he's been one of my favorite fighters. Um, I, I went to Dallas to watch him fight Darren Till. Um, like, when, when, I, when I heard that the UFC card was coming to Dallas and T. Wood was at the top of the bill, I was like, yeah, got to go. So, um, and that was, like, his best performance. He got his black belt that night. You know, everything that was going great for T. Wood. Um, loses the belt to Usman. And but, you know, throughout this losing streak uh, against Usman, against Burns, against Colby Covington, like you said, he's just kind of been in there, but he hasn't been doing anything. He's just been kind of watching. And these guys have been whooping his ass, but he's just been, you know, there not doing anything about it. But I I don't think that his skills have deteriorated, really. I just think like his mindset, like his mentality has, has deteriorated. So when I thought about this fight, I'm thinking, you know, if he loses his fight, like, he's most likely done. So I'm like, why not just go for it and just, just go for it? Like, what do you have to lose? And the more I thought about it, I'm thinking Luke gets hit. You know, Luke has been knocked out before and everything. So I'm like, T. Woods, got a, he, he's explosive. He's got the power to knock this guy out. And now, I didn't expect T. Wood to be as aggressive as he was. But I expected him to be aggressive. I expected him to move forward. I didn't think that he would be just hanging out on the on the cage and backing up every time. I thought that he would be forward. I, I thought he would uh, use his wrestling and move forward because he's 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 a well-rounded fighter. Like he's more than just a, a big overhand right. Like he's he's got good wrestling. He's got kicks. He's got um, and then he's got the knockout power too. But so I'm like, if you just put it all together, you're one of the best fighters in the world, right? Um. And I just thought, like, Woodley at his best, if he actually goes out there and fights, then I think he can beat Vicente Luque. So that was my thinking of picking Woodley. So, man, it, it, was, it was really, really good to see him go forward because after all those rounds of him just being on the, on the fence and just taking punishment, like, you know that's not, that's not how, he, how he fights. And then for him to just, just to go forward, I felt, I felt good. I felt so good that he's landing punches and I'm literally standing up like I'm, 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 I'm at my friend's house, uh, me and, and three other people. I'm the only one that's picked. He would. And I know that you that you picked Luke as well. So 
Um, T wouldn't go is going forward. He's landing punches. So I'm literally up. I'm the only person up. I'm like, yes, he would. Yes, he would. Keep going, T would. He's a one-two. I'm like, yes, he would. And I'm li- I literally Kobe. I kid you not. I had a Krispy Kreme donut in my left hand, and then I had my phone in my other hand, and I've I've literally wrote out a message to send to you because I know that I'm thinking that T Woods about to knock him out. And sure enough, he hit him with a shot and his legs go out. And I'm like, yes, T Wood, let's go. Let's go, T Wood. And I'm like, all he has to do is look out for the count. I couldn't even get the word counter out before Luke hit him with that shot. And then when I tell you that shot sat me down, like it, like it, that's Luke hitting Woodley with that shot sat me down and just kind of broke me, man. Like I, I remember, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, damn, like, cause I can see it. Like his legs are going out. Now he's on, he's on the cage, like just holding himself up. And I'm just like, damn, man. Like my whole, it went from 100 to zero and, and <laughs> real quick. And, and then he got submitted and it's, it's safe to say you never got that message I was going to send, but no, yeah, no, I didn't. I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you never got that message. Yeah, so, yeah, that 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 was that was tough. Well, look, that sequence <laughs> was wild because uh, that that overhand right lands and like Luke's rocked, and it's like, oh, this whoa, like again, yeah. just to see the activity, I, I think alone was nice to see from T Wood, much less landing a shot like that, and for it to get, for it to like go extreme in that direction and then for Luke to just follow it up and it go extreme in the other direction. And look, I don't know how how Woodley stayed on his legs, first of all. Uh, like, the fact that he stayed up through all of that was crazy to me because I'm like, and you could tell, like, it, 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 there was zero there. I mean, he it was just like the will to stay up, I guess. Um, but yeah, he was obviously so hurt that, that Luke was able to get the the uh, submission and and finish it off, but wild, wild sequence. And look, if I'm being honest, that's, that's, that's a Luke fight, right? Like that's, that's kind of what I thought it would be. Although I didn't think that, that Woodley was going to land a shot like that. I, I expected it to be somewhat wild and chaotic a little bit like that. And for Luke to land the big shots uh, w- once it did kind of reach that type of fight. Uh, but man, I, I, here's the, here's the question. Do we see Tyron Woodley fight again in the UFC? Man, I've been going back and forth on this. Um, or hey, let me ask you this first then, before you answer that. Do you want to see Tyron Woodley fight again in the UFC? Maybe that's the better question. Okay. I absolutely want to see him fight in the UFC again because if he's going to fight like he did against Luke going forward, initiating stuff, like yeah. if he's actually going to fight, I would love to see him fight, okay. but if he's going to just go and, and fight like he did against Burns and Colby and, and Kamar Usman, then I don't want to see that. So it's, so if I'm the UFC, I'm in a tough spot. Well, well, really, I'm not even sure if I'm in a tough spot because you know, he's 39 years old. He's lost four in a row. Like, what do you really do with him? Like what, what else can T Wood really do in the UFC? But then again, like he just had the fight of the night. He won $50,000. You know, like, he still has this. He still has something in the tank. He just had to bring it out. But it, it just sucked that it's had to take so long for him to to bring it out. Fifteen rounds of him getting demolished, and then for him to just go out there and lay it on all in line, and then right. to get finished like that. It's just it's sad to see because you wonder like what would happen if you would have went forward 
like that against Colby? What would happen if you right. went four like that against Gilbert? Like, this could have all been avoided if you just would have had that mentality uh, a lot sooner. Um, so now um, he's had you know his disputes with the UFC when he was champion. You know, things didn't really go in his favor. Uh, he didn't feel like he was getting marketed well and everything. And, you know, and there was just always the back and forth with uh, him in the UFC. And now he's at a point where he doesn't have any leverage. He's not the champion anymore. He's lost four in a row. He's 39 years old. So, and now it's just like, where, where does he go from here if he was to come back? So, and, and then when I found out that I was the last fight on his deal, I was just like, yeah, it's not, it's not looking good for T. Wood. Yeah. It's a tough one because again, like I think there's, there's a nostalgic element that probably is at play here that maybe shouldn't be, but I think there is. Because he was a champion, that's something that you consider when making these decisions. Do we want to see a champion further slide? Like, at some point, whether he can still fight or not, is there like a, hey, let's just stop this and preserve part of the legacy that was there? Again, I, I don't know if that's fair or if that's not fair, but I would imagine that plays a some sort of role in that decision-making. Also, you know, I've, I've heard this mentioned. You know, he went from not ever having been and finished to getting finished in the, you know, he got completely dominant. He went from being the champion to losing a decision to getting completely dominated for five rounds to getting completely dominated for five rounds and then finished to getting finished in the first round. Like, it's, you know, the, the downhill slope when you look at the results is pretty drastic. It's, it's not just as simple as four straight losses. It's lost by decision and then get completely dominated for the entirety of the fight, and then get completely dominated for the entirety of the fight, and get finished, and then get finished, like, in the first round. So, um, I don't know. I, if I had to bet, I would guess that we don't see him in the octagon again. Uh, he also turns 39 next month. So, uh, you know, that's, that's also something to consider. He's a former champion that's lost four in a row. He turns 39 next month. Uh, here's the, here's the, the million-dollar question, though. If the UFC says, you know what, fine, let's let's try this again. Let's let's go one more time, uh, and and Tyron Woodley's in on that. What do you do with him? Like, what what makes sense? Because having lost four in a row, does do you throw him to? I don't know, like a like a Chemaev as like a. Do you, I mean, do you turn him into like a step stool type guy, or like he's obviously not going to fight in a main event? Uh, do you offer him another? I mean. Do you offer him another high-end performer? I just I don't know what you do with him, even if there is another fight out there. Yeah, so I was I gave that a lot of thought too, and I was just thinking like uh, at this point you probably need to put him uh, up against you know you know fighters who are kind of like over the hill uh, like Cowboy Cerrone or like a. Damian Maya, you know, people who are kind of like at the tail end of their careers, but still have a name who are still kind of fun to watch. Um, I would, I would do that with him. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight a Cowboy Cerrone or a Damian Maya Robbie again. Or, uh, yeah, Robbie Lawler. I was about to say that. Yeah. I would love to see T would fight Robbie Lawler again, or, you know, or if he uh, moved up and uh, fought uh, someone who was, like in the bottom of the top 15 or something like that, you know, you know, just something else, man. Uh, I, I think there's, there's options, but you know, as far as him being at the top, he's not, he's not there anymore. And, 
it just depends on if the UFC wants to go that route with them as far as, you know, having to fight other guys who are kind of at that same stage in their careers than him or if they just want to move on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, again, if I had to bet on what happens, I think I'd probably bet that that's the last time we see him in the UFC. Uh, but, yeah, it's I, I just don't know what you what you do to bring him back and what makes sense as far as it being a draw and being something that they want to put out there. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's a tough one, though. It's a tough one for Tyron Woodley. Uh, all right, Sean O'Malley, Thomas Almeida. This one was... This one was wild. Uh, first of all, I, Sean O'Malley looked fantastic. He was sharp as ever. Uh, the striking is just off the charts great. Uh, he had the near walk-off that we thought was over, and then it doesn't get stopped. The second time, it still doesn't get stopped, and then a massive shot uh, to finally close that thing out. But once again, I can't say enough good things about Sean O'Malley, what his future is. And, I mean, you mentioned it last week. I don't know if the... If the Cheeto Vera fight is next, if, if they go back to that rematch, considering the comments that O'Malley made about considering himself to be still undefeated, or if they go a different route. But uh, he's he's just one of those guys that's so electrifying. The, the charismatic personality on top of the skill set. Like, the UFC can do a lot of interesting things, I think, with Sean O'Malley, especially in that division. Yeah, I mean, for all that uh, Sean O'Malley talks, like, for, for uh, what he says and everything, being undefeated and and all that, like, Sean O'Malley is such a good fighter. Like, the feints and the kicks. Like, like I heard people say, like, oh, yeah, Sean O'Malley's back. And I'm just like, man, that was a freak injury that he had. I mean, I, I don't really think that he went anywhere. Like, Sean O'Malley, I mean, if he never would have got hurt, like, who knows what would happen in that fight. But, I mean, we just saw a motivated Sean O'Malley on full display uh, his striking looked incredible. Uh, he was able to take the kicks. You know, Almeida uh, threw a lot of kicks at him, but he was able to take them. Uh, there was a lot uh, that people were saying about um, his durability and everything. Uh, he's had some injuries and everything, but that's just a part of the fight game, man. Like, people yeah. go in fights and get injured all the time. Um, and Sean O'Malley, even though he's he you know, he's got a rocket ship on him a little bit, you know, he's he's still human, so he's going to get hurt too. So, But I don't think that he, he was uh, – I don't think he's injury prone, and uh, you know we definitely saw Sean O'Malley at his at his best. Uh, Thomas Almeida had nothing for him, man. Uh, I mean, he was tough. I mean, and we knew he was going to be tough. Right. Uh, he's been in wars, but uh, you know Sean O'Malley, man, just how good of a striker that he is, how efficient that he is. Um, he looked he looked incredible, man. And you know he's and now after a win like that, after a performance like that. You know, after a knockout and the, the fadeaway at the end and everything, like, after all that, like, he's right back where he was to me. I don't really feel like people, many people are going to think about that Cheeto Vera loss anymore. They're going to think about, oh, yeah, Sean O'Malley, he's he's a problem. Yeah, I, I, I love the Cheeto Vera rematch uh, now. I mean, if if, uh, if the UFC wants to go that route, you know, I think that's also one that's that's going to be there. I don't think either guy is in danger of really fading away. Um, you know, maybe if, if they know something we don't, uh, and, and that's the case, then you may want to speed up, uh, that rematch, but I, I don't feel like either one of those guys is in danger of slipping out of relevance at, at that, in that weight class. So that may be one of those fights that's, that's always there. And, and you let both of them, uh, gain a little more traction before you do it again. And maybe that main events a card at some point, but, uh, there are, I mean, we, we talked about that division last week. And when you talk about the, 
the rematch for the title that has to take place when you talk about the the Font Garbrandt fight, when you talk about the Dillashaw Sanhagen fight, uh, you start going down that list, and then you look at the guys that are currently uh, scheduled to fight. We just saw Dominic Cruz against Casey Kinney recently, and, and Dominic Cruz gets another win. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of options, and I think you know as far as as Sean O'Malley, he's also one of those guys that just I think his star power has the chance to be as big as anybody in the sport. And they'll be very calculated with what they do with him next because, again, I think he's just such a big draw. He's so charismatic. And when you watch him fight, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's not just the fact that he's so colorful. Uh, you know, it's, it's that he's also an incredibly gifted striker. Like, it's watching him, and especially being able to watch him for a period of time in this fight as opposed to just the quick finish, uh, it was... I mean, he he could be he could be as big as as maybe anybody in this sport. So, I'm I'm excited to see what they do with him next at 135. Absolutely, there's a lot of options. Like you said, uh, the Cheeto Vera fight. Like, I don't know if I would do that next. Now that I think about it, like you said, it's always going to be there. And with uh, Cheeto Vera coming off a loss, like, do you really want to give him Sean O'Malley after a after a, a performance like that for, for O'Malley? So. I'm kind of thinking that they give O'Malley like another like name, but someone who is kind of at the bottom of the top 15 or like right outside. Um, I feel like that that'll probably happen next. And then they probably circle back to the Chido Vera fight. If uh, maybe they give Chido Vera a, a fight uh, here and then he gets a win, then they are able to fight a main event, a fight night or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of options with O'Malley, man, and the the division is just so loaded that you don't really have to do Cheeto Vera. Like, there's so many guys like like a Sun Sal, Cody Stamen, yeah, um, so many guys at the bottom of the top 15 who could uh, who could elevate Sean O'Malley that much more. So you know, there's a lot a lot of options there, but you know, we'll just have to see. I'll tell you what I like, and and again, if they it depends on how much they want to elevate him. If they wanted to give him like Marlon Marais or somebody like that, I you know I think that would be that would be an awesome fight. Uh, but if they're you know if they're gonna bring it along a little bit more slowly, I like Sean O'Malley, Kyler Phillips. We just saw Kyler Phillips look really good. I think that stylistically would be a terrific matchup. And then here's the one that I think would just be the best fight. Period. Sean O'Malley, Adrian Yanez. I think considering what we just watched from Adrian Yanez, you have two ascending fighters in, in that division that I think either one of those guys is, is you know, a future top 10 guy, easy, maybe a top five guy. I mean, I think both those guys have big opportunities ahead of them. That would be a great fight. Oh, man. From, like, the same type of performance that Sean O'Malley had, uh, Adrian Yanez had, too, uh, in this fight with um, Gustavo Lopez. And... Yeah. Just, you know, Sean O'Malley's got a bigger name, a bigger following. But, I mean, if Adrian Yanez had the type of following that Sean O'Malley had, we'd be talking a lot more about Adrian Yanez. So, yeah, if they did that fight, that would be a that would be an incredible striking matchup. Uh, I would love to see it. Uh, yeah, man, there's just so many options that you could throw his way. Uh, do you want to see him in, a, in an exciting fight? Or do you want to see his skills shine through? Like, do you want to see, like, someone test him with his grappling and uh, – on the ground and everything so uh so many options like i, I heard earlier that um i guess dominic cruz had called him out or there was a rumor that he called him out so i mean you know i maybe like that they, fight a lot Dom yeah maybe they do cruz and, and o'malley the the movements that 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 both of those guys do i think cruz would test him with his wrestling so 
you know, that would be a, a fun fight. But, yeah, man, so many options. Sean O'Malley beats Dominic Cruz, and he's in the title conversation, right? I mean. Ab- absolutely. That's, yeah. That would be the name that he needs to jump to the upper right side of the division, for yeah. sure. And then, again, you mentioned it. Stylistically, I think that makes a ton of sense. That would be a terrific matchup. Yeah, just the, the awkward movements that they both do. Right. Uh, the, the different feints, like. Um, Dominic Cruz, for how awkward that he moves, like he still, anytime he he gets uh, close to O'Malley, and with how long O'Malley is, like O'Malley's going to be able to uh, touch him with the legs, and then uh, his his arms are so long, he'll be able to get to him. Where a lot of the people that Cruz has fought uh, haven't been able to get to him because they're a lot shorter than Cruz. So that would be a very very fun stylistic matchup for sure. Yeah. All right, we had uh, we both had Miranda Maverick over Jillian Robertson. Uh, I thought uh, Miranda looked terrific. Absolutely, uh, she's she's young, but you can see she's got a lot of potential, man. And uh, she did lose that second round. Uh, I think she won uh, two rounds to one, but um, yeah, she definitely looked good. She uh, definitely turned it on whenever she was on the feet. Um, Jenny Robinson was able to get some takedowns and everything, but, uh, you know, Miranda Maverick, she stayed the course and, uh, got the job done. I was very impressed by, uh, Miranda Maverick for sure. Yeah. And then to start the main card, we had Jamie Malarkey, comma worthy. We were both on the comma worthy side of this fight and we were both, uh, very much wrong 46 seconds into this fight. M- man, like. I mean, I, I didn't know much about Malarkey. That's pro- that's why I picked Kama Worthy. And I know that Kama Worthy is the guy who, who finishes fights. So um, I just thought that Kama Worthy, with, with his experience and everything, I thought that he would be able to get the job done. But 46 seconds, man. Like, I'm just like, golly, man. Yeah. <laughs> How was I that wrong? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, so I, got, uh, I got points on Miranda Maverick. Sean O'Malley, Vicente Luque, and Francis Ngannou, which uh, is a main event and a title fight, so that is a three-pointer. You got points on Miranda Maverick and Sean O'Malley. So we did not have an exchange on the leaderboard, uh, and I won't even give out the score, but uh, the lead did increase. Well, let's let's hear it. Let's hear hear everyone. It's only 27-22, so, yeah. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to have a, a, a Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors type comeback where we're down 3-1, but we're going to come back at the nice. end and win. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, we have, some, we have some big cards coming up. So uh, the next two pay-per-view cards, by the way, holy cow. Uh, they are, they are going to have uh, fans in the seats. It is going to be capacity, and they are delivering on that front because – they're going to have people in the building. I think Dana wants to give them the very best product, and these cards are loaded. Yeah, from, from the jump, man, as soon as they announced that, that fans will be back in the in attendance, like, they announced the, the cards, and we got three title fights on the first card in Jacksonville with fans, uh, three huge title fights, and then um, uh, the card after that in May, like, we've got a big uh, title fight, uh, Vegas Light, Lightweight Championship, and then I mean, just so many fights, so many wars, potential wars on that card. I mean, the UFC is putting out all the stops for fans to come back. Uh, and, man, the first event in April sold out in, in minutes, they say. And I'm sure it's going to be the same thing with this card in, in May in Houston. So um, they're pulling out all the stops, man. These fights are going to be they're going to be fun. Yeah. 
All right, let's uh, let's talk about what's next for Francis Ngannou. Obviously, on Saturday night, uh, John Jones is all over Twitter. He's been all over Twitter for the last week. So, uh, if if you have missed any of the John Jones Twitter stuff, just go Johnny Bones uh, on Twitter at Johnny Bones. Uh, you can go follow it all because there's too many to like go over the entire uh, thing that that you know again goes back to Saturday all the way through today. But look, if you're just saying what's the fight to make. Uh, John Jones is the fight to make, right? I mean, Francis Ngannou is the new champion. You know, there's a reason that he was the favorite going into this fight. A lot of people, I think, like I talked about at the beginning of this thing, I think there's a Mike Tyson-like quality to Francis Ngannou that people just gravitate towards. It's There's there's electricity when he's in the octagon, when he's fighting. You know that while this is the case with a lot of UFC fighters, you know, the, the power is always one punch away. With Francis, it feels like that's even magnified. So um, I, I think stylistically and from an excitement level, Francis is, I mean, the, the ideal champion in that division for the UFC. John Jones is arguably the greatest of all time. We don't have to go into, I mean, I, I know that not everybody thinks that. We don't have to go into that debate. But for the sake of what we're talking about, he's arguably the greatest MMA fighter ever. He's undefeated. He had nothing left at 205. This is the no-brainer fight to make. And look, if they make this fight, it's, it's, I think it's the biggest fight in UFC history. You know, I, I, I thought the other night, like Saturday night when this fight ended, I thought if they make that fight, it's going to be, and I said, one of the biggest fights in UFC history. I honestly believe at this point, if they make this fight, given just the excitement level of what Francis Ngannou is capable of and the legacy of John Jones, I think this becomes the biggest fight in UFC history. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think it's the biggest fight in UFC history. Um, there's there's a lot of fights that kind of come to mind, like Conor Khabib and uh, and everything. But for sure, just with everything that's on the line, uh, with John Jones' legacy and with with how good Steve or with how good Francis is, you know that when it comes to Francis, like and how great John is, like greatness doesn't matter when you're in there with Francis. Like it could no matter how great, like how no matter how great Steve A was. That one shot from 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 Francis put his lights out, and the same thing could happen with John Jones. Um, just the fact that we could see John Jones lose, and we haven't really seen John Jones in trouble. Like we've seen him in close fights, but I mean, we've seen him. Uh, we've seen we've seen people think that he's lost and everything, but he's always got his hand raised at the end of the fights. Um, we've never seen him in trouble as far as uh, getting rocked. We've never seen him drop before, like. We've seen him take some shots, but, you know, nothing that's really hurt him that much. So, but then with Francis, like, everything is just so dangerous. And, but we know on the, on the other side, we know how good John is as far as grappling with wrestling, with uh, distance management and everything. And just we IQ know, in general, right? Yeah, just IQ in general. And for how much of a nut that we probably think John Jones is outside of the cage, like, inside the cage, like, there is no disputing that. That's one of the smartest fighters in UFC history, and he he plans out uh, the the path to victory uh, in the fight, man. And and he know he's gonna know what Francis' best shot is. He's gonna know where it comes from. He's gonna know when he wants to throw it. Uh, and but the problem is like Francis is so athletic. Francis is gonna be the most athletic guy that he's ever fought for sure. He's gonna be the most powerful guy he's ever fought for sure. So. The danger, like the level of danger in that fight for John, it's it's at a level that we haven't seen before. 
And not only that, but this is his first fight at heavyweight. <laughs> and then so right. we don't know how he's going to look. And we, he, we've seen him put on all this weight. So, I mean, how is he going to look with all that weight? I mean, some people yeah. say that What's it, the movement it's like, right? Like, that's a different situation, just the, the overall movement. Absolutely. And people are saying, like, um, he's going to look scary with that wrestling. He's going to be so strong. But, like, the movement, like you said, like, that's, that's, that's a big, big part of this fight is how John Jones is going to be able to move because he's able to control distance well and everything, but Francis is going to be able to reach him like no one else has. So it's going to be crazy to see, man. I, I, that's definitely the fight to make. I mean, just if John Jones isn't the greatest fighter ever, he's definitely the greatest light heavyweight ever. He's on the, he's, he's, the on the, he's on the Rushmore, right? Like we can at least say that. Yeah. He, yeah, absolutely. On the, on the Mount Rushmore. So just from that front that he's the greatest light heavyweight ever. One of the top fighters in UFC history, moving up to fight the scariest guy ever. Like that fight just sells itself. Yeah. John Jones wants to get paid, and rightfully so. Like I said, I, I, I'm at the point now where I think if they make this fight, it, it does become the biggest fight in UFC history. I, 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 told, uh, I told a friend of mine this earlier today. You know a UFC fight is big when the mainstream sports media people start talking about it. And, like, and I'll just throw out an example. If Stephen A. Smith is talking about a UFC fight, that means it's it's a big deal, right? Because it's not something right. that he follows uh, most of the time. I think when he talks about it, he, you can clearly tell that he he doesn't really know what the hell he's talking about. Um, but if he's talking about it, that means that it's such a big deal that it has superseded all these other headlines that he's paying attention to. So I'm just saying that if if Francis Ngannou and John Jones fight, that will be the headline. Across the board, everybody's talking about that. That will be a headline in mainstream sports media for, I mean, the entire way building up to this thing. Like, it's going to be a massive deal. Now, in terms of dollars and all that, that's where all of this is tricky. And and look, there's we don't have, like, these lists like you can get with the NFL when you just Google, like, top-paid quarterbacks, and it has you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees, and it shows, like, what they make per year. The UFC doesn't have that type of setup. We don't know what the money situation is. So I, I see a lot of people that are on the UFC side of this thing. I see a lot of people that are giving John shit about it I, and the other way around. I don't know what the financials look like. I don't know what a lowball offer for this situation would be or not. I would just say that if you are the UFC... You do everything in your power to make this fight happen. This is the fight. When you start talking about their ABC deal, and look, the next fight we're going to see is, is an ABC fight, right? Uh, a week mm -hmm. from Saturday. When you start talking about growing the sport and taking these next steps, I honestly believe Francis Ngannou, John Jones, might be the fight that really can accelerate that path. So uh, I think you do whatever you can, obviously within reason. You're not going to lose money on a pay-per-view to, to pay these guys to do it, but... Uh, at the same time, you know, these guys are, I mean, this, this potentially is the biggest fight in the history of the sport. So you've got to make it worth it. I mean, these, you know, it's, it's a sport that obviously doesn't pay anything close to what boxers make. And there's a reason why Conor McGregor hasn't been in the octagon for a long time, because the money he's making in the, in, you know, in boxing is night and day different. Uh, but if you're not, if you're not trying to make history with this one, then is it ever going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, I think this is also the opportunity to say, hey, look, let's do a super fight 
And if we're doing super fights, you have the opportunity for these, these big paydays in this sport. You don't have to go running to boxing for that one massive payday. Like, I, I, I don't know. We'll see how it all works out. Again, I'm not going to pretend to understand the financials on either side or to predict what's fair, what's not. I don't know if $10 million is a lowball offer. Uh, I don't know if $10 million is more than anybody's ever been guaranteed. Like, I, we, we have no idea about any of that with this sport. So I think from that angle, it's, it's really tough to talk about it and say whether one side is right or wrong. I just hope it gets done for the sake of what this thing could be, not only inside the octagon, but what it means for the sport and growing the sport. Absolutely, man. I hope that this gets done. I mean, the baddest man on the planet fights the greatest fighter of all time. Like, that that just sells it itself, man. And Undefeated. Yeah, like, yeah, undefeated, never been dropped. Like, so, so much. So much goes into it. And you're right, man. Like, we don't know about the contract situation. It's not like we see, oh, um, uh, an example, uh, give me a random fighter, like Jose Aldo. Um, he signs a a five fight, three or yeah. thirty five million dollar contract or fight contract or whatever. We don't see we don't see that. Like right. we don't know when these fighters are on the last fight of their deal or like if they're on a certain deal, how much they're paid or whatever. So like we don't know if it's like a fight to fight thing. If they're locked into a contract, like a lot of times, like they'll say in an interview, "Oh, this is the last fight of my deal," or. Or, you know, something along the lines of that. But when it comes to the financials, we really have no idea, like, how that works. So, you know, when John Jones says 8 to 10 million would be would be low, like, we're like, well, what would the right number be? Like, is, yeah. is it 20 million? Is it 30 million? Well, and, and what, then, are the, what do they make off these paper? Like, I, I we, we don't even know, like, what the pay-per-view numbers are. Like, what does the UFC make off of something like that? And look, here, here's what we do know, though. Like a lot of these pay-per-view uh, contracts are built on pay-per-view buys, right? Like you get a, a revenue share of the pay-per-view buys. So again, I don't know if it's a situation where he wants a guaranteed X amount of dollars and they're like, well, you know, we'll give you so much guaranteed, but the rest of it has to be dependent on like what it actually sells. Like I, all that stuff is way outside of, of I, I think, anybody's knowledge, right? Like I, there's nobody, I think, that has the inside details of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So if I if I'm John Jones at this point, I mean, I, I definitely want to get paid, but you know, I still want to be able to solidify my legacy. I want to go in there and I want to fight Francis. Um, so I mean, I don't know, like, I don't want to go too high on my offer if I'm John, but but you know, I still want to be compensated well. But I want to ask you this, and I've been kind of going back and forth on this. So. As soon as Francis won, John started talking about show me the money, yeah. all that stuff. If Stipe wins, do you think we he says that? Uh, I don't know because look, I, I I and I was talking about this today with somebody, uh, and and they took the other side of this opinion. So uh, take it for what it's worth. I I believe again, and I'm just basing this off of my experience talking to people I know that casually pay attention to MMA and casually like tune in, you know, buy a Conor McGregor card, for example, but probably aren't going to watch Michael Chandler, Charles Oliveira, right? Like, so I think when I kind of evaluate it from that standpoint, people like you and me are watching it regardless. John Jones, Mm -hmm. Stipe Miocic or John Jones, Francis Ngannou, we're watching it either way. Like it doesn't make a difference to us. 
And while Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time and is a big draw on his own, once again, I think there's just something about Francis Ngannou, and it's that Mike Tyson-type quality, that that I think he's the bigger draw. Like, I, uh, everyone I know would would rather pay to watch a Francis Ngannou fight than a Stipe Miocic fight. He's a more exciting fighter. He looks the part, right? He's this massive human being that knocks people out in 20 seconds like every time he's in the octagon. Um, I, I think that that is a much bigger draw, in my opinion, for, for, again, all the reasons that we always talk about, it's it's not about getting the UFC fans to buy the pay-per-view because we're buying it anyway. John Jones is involved. We're buying it anyway. It's about getting all the people that don't regularly buy the UFCs to buy it because there's something extra special happen, happening. And while I think a Stipe John Jones fight would be extra special, I believe that a John Jones Francis fight is even more special. Yeah, like for the hardcore fans, a Stipe John Jones fight, that's that's going to sell itself. Like, greatest heavyweight ever, greatest light heavyweight ever, you know, as far as greatness goes, like, that's probably one of the best fights in UFC history. Um, but, like, how how much is that going to sell when you've got uh, Francis over here, like I said, who's a physical specimen, who's knocking people out in 20 seconds? Like, we know that Stipe and John is going to be a great mixed martial arts fight. Francis, like when it comes to Francis, it's all about the attraction right. and just um, just the thought of him knocking out a guy who's the greatest, who's potentially the greatest fighter ever. Uh, in twenty, it could be in twenty seconds. Like you never know when it's coming. Like yeah. the explosion of Francis, like it could it could be at any point. And a guy and that then, will absolutely play up the villain role. Like he will have no problem. John Jones will have no problem playing his part in this thing, right? And he's good at it. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Like, when it comes to the press conferences and stuff, like, he said some of the most outlandish things. Like, yeah. he said to DC one time, I beat you after a weekend of cocaine. Like, like man, like, John Jones is saying stuff like that. Yeah. Like, he's – John Jones knows how to play the villain. He knows how to get under people's skin. Um, we, we don't really see it all too much. Like, we haven't seen it lately, I'll say, but when it, when it came to DC and Gustafson and all those guys – um, he's definitely uh, he definitely knows how to play the villain role, and when it comes to Francis and just wanting to sell the fight that much more, I mean John will definitely play up that villain role probably ten times to what we're used to. So um, yeah, just on that front, like I mean the fight already sells itself, and then with John doing his part, yeah, it's going to be even crazier. Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it on this as far as them making that fight. Once again, I, I don't know the financials and the numbers and all that. But I would say that if if they don't offer both of those guys more money than has ever been offered to two guys to fight, then they're probably doing it wrong. I, I don't. But do you think that they'll offer more money than they've gave Conor, Conor McGregor? Like, I don't think that we'll see uh, John Jones and, and uh, Francis combined make as much as Conor McGregor has made. Probably not, fight. but but again, I think this could be the biggest fight in the history of the sport. So if you're not uh, if you're not trying to pay these guys like it, then I, I think you're missing. It's a miss. I agree, man. But, I, they definitely yeah. yeah. The UFC they've got to do whatever it takes to get this fight going. You're right. Yeah, while making money at the same time, like it has to be a mutually beneficial thing. I, I get that. It, again, it's it's just a tough conversation to have because we don't have any real like numbers to to talk from like we can't say like well 
you know, Dak Prescott made 20 million and Kirk Cousins made 30 million. So this guy deserves like 27 or, you know what I mean? Like there's not, there's not reference points for any of it. So uh, it, it's kind of just a like, I don't know. I hope it happens and I hope they make the best choices. But yeah, I, I just, I think it could be the biggest fight in the history of the sport. And I think you, it, you're missing out if you don't try to pay those guys like that's the case. Well, John Jones did say, um, like he said, throughout his twenties, I made two million per fight. Yeah, and I'm sure that's probably with everything included, maybe like with pay per views and yeah, like whatever he was guaranteed. But you know, again, like we don't know if that's for sure or not. And then for him to say like five to ten million is too low, like we just don't know. Like, yeah, right. we, we're, we're, we're yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if that fight doesn't happen. For you, what's next? Um, I think it's Derek Lewis. Uh, obviously, he avenged the Stipe loss. Derek Lewis is trending in the right direction. Derek Lewis just had a big KO. Uh, I think you you tried to avenge the other loss for Francis if if the John thing falls through. Um, and then on top of that, what do they do with Stipe? If I don't know what the future for Stipe is, I mean, he could he could decide that he's done for all we know, but. Um, if, if he is still going to want to be active and try and regain this belt, what do you do with Stipe? And is, is he somebody that should be at least considered uh, given the trilogy fight next? If I'm Stipe, I'm taking some time off because those are some brutal, brutal shots that he, that he took. Um, I'm definitely taking uh, a good amount of time away. Just, you know, uh, be, go be with your family. Uh, go relax. You, you know, you deserve it. You know, you've been through a lot through the last four years. Um, you know, yeah, just if I were Stipe, I would, you know, just take some time with your family, uh, worry about the, the heavyweight title and running the back later. Um, for me, if John Jones is the next for Francis, I'm definitely going Derek Lewis. Um, that fight has to happen again because they did us. A, it was a, it was a terrible, terrible yeah. fight. I mean, I, and they've both acknowledged that, by the way. Like, it's, we're, yeah, they, they've both said, like, that, I don't know what that was. Yeah, and they, they both acknowledge it, and they both know it. Like, Derek Lewis, I'm sure he doesn't even consider that a win, like Francis says. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't consider that a loss. So it's just like, they were just kind of out there for three rounds, and I think Derek Lewis just threw, like, maybe three more punches than Francis did, so they gave <laughs> right. him the, the, the victory. So, I mean... For what that fight was built as and what we saw, they owe it to themselves, the UFC, the fans. They owe it to, to everyone to run that back and to give us the fight that we know um, that we uh, know these two guys can have. So, um, yeah, now, now you put the heavyweight title on the line. Um, now now you, you're getting much more money. Like Derek Lewis tweeted like, he was like, shit, give me five, ten million dollars, I'll fight Francis. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. not even gonna think twice about it. So, I mean, I think negotiations and everything will go a lot more smoother if you just go um with Francis and Derek Lewis. I don't think like as much as I want the John Jones fight to happen, I just think they're gonna keep going in circles as far as like what that number is and like what the magic number is. But, you know, you've already got a, a very worthy contender right here, and you still got a fight that's going to sell. you got the baddest man on the oh, planet yeah. against the, the guy with most knockouts in, in heavyweight history. or I, It might be UFC history, but I know for sure it's heavyweight history. So, I mean, that fight sells itself too, and you just got two, two big, scary guys who are going to go out there and have a slugfest, like, for, for the heavyweight title. Like, yeah. I would love to see it. 
Do you if if that becomes the case, do you throw John Jones and Stipe together? And the Ooh. winner then gets the opportunity to fight uh, the Lewis and Ghana winner? I would love to see that. I mean, I've I've wanted to see that for a long time, John Jones and Stipe. Um, to be honest with you, I think that I really think that John Jones was wanting to fight Stipe. I think that um, he thought that Stipe was going to get rid of Francis, <laughs> and then he yeah. would be able to fight Stipe for the heavyweight title. And that, that's not that's not me saying that John Jones is scared of Francis at all because he's not. But I really think that John Jones sees like, yeah, I can definitely beat Stipe. He saw DC do it. He feels like he's better than Stipe everywhere. But he knows like the knockout threat is a lot greater with Francis. But yeah, I would love to see uh, John Jones and Stipe fight. Um, just the the technical, the skill, uh, everything that goes into it. Um, I would love to see that for sure. Yeah. How about uh, Dana White's comment on Saturday night where he says, if I were John Jones, I'd be getting down to 185. And, I mean, he, he was kidding, but you can't say stuff like that to John Jones. You know <laughs> right. that. Right. You, you know he's going to be like, what, really? Me go down to 185? I'm putting all this weight? Like, it's like, come on, John. He was just having a little joke. He's just having yeah. a little bit of fun, man. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, in a way, like, after seeing that, you're like, damn, like, how is John Jones going to beat Francis? Like, is John Jones going to wrestle? Because we saw what yeah. Francis did to Stipe when he wrestled. Is John Jones going to, what, knock him out? Like, I mean, what's going to be the path to victory for, for John? I mean, granted, John is smarter than everyone. He, he's the greatest ever. So he he's probably got a pain in his head. Like, I know how I would fight this guy. It's right. just a knockout threat. It's just greater than it's ever been. So, um, To me, just go rewatch the Tiago Santos fight and then, like, add, like, a hundred pounds to what Francis Ngannou is. And you're like, I don't see the path. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, and just to think he was so afraid of Tiago's power and Tiago had a completely blown out knee. Right. <laughs> right. Like John was so like timid to engage. So like, how would, how would that play out with Francis? Um, I, I do think that he likes to fight at his own pace. So I think that um, John would be on the outside he would, while Stipe was trying to fight on the outside, he's not very good at fighting on the outside, right? Yeah. So, like, John Jones is a lot more skilled at distance management, so he would probably pick out his legs and everything. And then uh, he would probably force Francis to have, like, that wild exchange and then uh, take him down from there. But, you know, it, it's, all, it's all intriguing, man. Yeah. It, there's so many questions. Fans would be pissed watching that fight, by the way, because John Jones isn't going to engage in some all-out war. It's going to be picking his shots. It's going to be very slow. It's going to be very calculated. And I, I think even though it will be the biggest fight ever and it will be built up as this can't-miss, just all-time classic, I think the fight itself would probably be a little bit disappointing for a lot of people, ultimately. Absolutely, because John is not going to be there for Francis to hit. He's going to be way back there right. picking at his legs and everything. And if it's probably going to be in front of fans, so we'll probably see some booze because, you know, Francis is a, his fight IQ is rising. So he knows, like, I got to be smart. So we might see a, a fight or some rounds, at least, where these guys are just kind of standing there. Yeah. You know, John's just he's he's scoring points. You know, he's getting the judges uh, getting rounds and everything. But, um, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of times when John will say to the to his opponents, like, man, I'll go and I'll fight you where you're best at and still beat you. I guarantee you, John Jones will not say that to Francis Agandhi. <laughs> right. I guarantee it. Right. 
All right, before we get out of here, uh, two announcements this week that we need to uh, go over. So the next UFC card is Saturday, April 10th. That was supposed to be middleweights Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. You informed me earlier this week that that fight was off, uh, which I immediately was like, WTF! Uh, but then your the saving grace was the following text that said, Kevin Holland is going to step in, and it is uh, Marvin Vittori and Kevin Holland. I, I like this matchup. And a chance for Absolutely. Holland to kind of, like, redeem himself after the Brunson fight. Absolutely. But, um, Marvin Vittori is going to bring it, like, you're, there's definitely going to be a war. Um, but then, you know, Kevin Holland, there's a lot of questions with him. How is it going to look coming back after that awful performance against Derek Brunson where he just didn't uh, look like he wanted to listen to his coaches and uh, didn't look like he had any takedown defense or he was just kind of playing out there. Uh, you want to see a, a, a different performance, a more uh, mature performance. Uh, we've seen, we saw it all of 2020. We've seen Kevin Holland evolve, but he definitely took a step back. Uh, and his mentality and, and, and everything. So um, this fight with Vittori, it's against a guy who's uh, in the top five, and it's against the guy, if he wins, he's right back in that uh, conversation where he would have been at if he would have beat Brunson. So yeah. um, definitely a, a huge fight uh, for both guys. Um, whoever wins this fight is right, is knock on the doorstep of a title shot. So a uh, big fight uh, on ABC, Um uh, I'm excited for it, man. It's going to be a war. Yeah, and and look, for Vittori, I mean, a title shot's on the line, right? Like, he wins this impressively. I, I will say, Robert Whitaker fights the following Saturday, so I, I don't think it's just as simple as win impressively and you get the title shot because Robert Whitaker follows you immediately, and if he, you know, wins in a first-round KO in, like, 10 seconds, then, you know, he's going to have a lot of steam. But I think you're you're positioning yourself really, really well if you win this and win it in impressive fashion, and most likely you're next. Yeah, absolutely, because, I mean, Izzy's kind of cleaned up the division in a way. Um, he's knocked out Whitaker. He's knocked out Paulo Costa, beat UL Romero and everything. He beat Vittori. Uh, beat Kevin, yeah, beat Vittori, yeah. beat Kelvin Gaskin. But Vittori has a little bit of a say because it was a split decision win, so he can kind of go back and say, I beat Israel Adesanya. Like the judges, you know, were tripping. I, I, I won that fight. I know I won. And he's got a little bit of a, of an argument to have that title shot against. Well, and then there's Whitaker who got knocked out. So, um, yeah, I think Izzy would, would rather get up. I think he'd be more motivated to fight Vittori who he has something to prove against Agreed. than a Robert Whitaker who he just got out of there in two rounds. So, Agreed. um, yeah. Um, I mean, Vittori definitely has, he has a, a massive opportunity in front of him, and if he wins this fight, he's right there in the title uh, conversation. Yeah. Obviously, no picks this weekend. Um, as, like I said, the next card is a week from Saturday, and it's that main event. Uh, by the way, the other big news that we'll leave on, this was shocking to me, and I didn't see it coming. Um, I, I'm still kind of, like, dumbfounded that this was the move. Uh Leon Edwards, Nate Diaz, it's going to be a pay-per-view co-main event. It's going to be the very first five-round non-main event, non-title fight fight. Uh, I, it's This is so weird for, for multiple reasons. Number one, Nate Diaz has been called out by seemingly everybody in the sport over the last few months. Yes. Uh, so for this to be the fight, it just... I don't know, man. It's it's very bizarre. Leon Edwards obviously had the the eye poke with Bilal in his first time back in the octagon in what felt like an eternity. 
Um, I think from a matchup standpoint, I, this is a bad matchup for Nate Diaz. I just, I mean, I, I think this is a, for Leon, this is a home run. It's basically yeah. being given like the, hey, you beat this guy, you get him on your resume, and you are fighting for the title next. A win over Nate Diaz, and just that name elevates you, and he's going to yeah. have a title shot after this. So for, from Leon's perspective, this is a home run. I don't, I don't know that I get it for Nate Diaz side and like, I don't know. It's very odd. Very odd to me. Yeah. I, I was completely shocked when I saw this. Um, it was just another one of those. I'm watching the NCAA tournament and then I just happened to get on Twitter on a commercial break and then breaking news, Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. And I'm like, what? Like where? Like what is it? And then first five round co-main event, uh, non-title fight. Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it is a home run for, for Leon Edwards. Like you just have to have that name. He just needs one more win. He's, he's had so many wins in a row and now you just add a, the name Nate Diaz to your resume. You're going to get that title shot. So this is best case scenario for, for Leon Edwards. And so for Nate Diaz, like you said, like, what is the motivation? Like, why is Leon Edwards that guy that you choose to come back to fight against? Um, I guess the only thing I can think of is he, he wanted to get back in there against a guy who's got uh, a name, against a guy who's, who's got a, a winning streak. I guess he just wants to test himself. And uh, Leon Edwards is definitely a, a huge test for him. But I don't see – I mean, I don't see where uh, Nate's better than him. Like, yeah. if they're going to stand and strike the whole time, I give the advantage to Leon Edwards. If they're going to wrestle, I give it to Leon Edwards. I mean – I think the only thing that I would kind of give uh, Nate an advantage in is the jujitsu, but is it ever going to get to that point? Because we know how much Nate Diaz likes to be on his feet. So, right. um, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I don't see uh, the path of victory for, for, uh, for Nate, but I just think uh, just him getting back in there, you know, he's going to make a, a, a big paycheck. Um, and, you know, same thing for Leon, but he's going to add a big name and he's going to get a title shot if he wins his fight. So, um yeah it, it's it's a crazy it's crazy man um i'm interested to see what happens but i'm definitely uh gonna probably pick leon in that fight for yeah. sure well it'll be fireworks and that's that's the main thing like it's it's gonna be an awesome fight either way uh because that's what nate diaz brings to the table uh and look i think you know leon obviously looked good in the brief amount of time we saw him against Bilal. Uh i think that'll be the case against nate diaz they they obviously feel like Leon is next for the title or this fight wouldn't even be taking place when you consider how many people have called out Nate Diaz and just the overall draw that he is, right? Like, Nate Diaz is a massive draw still, even after not having fought in forever. Uh, they could have they could have put him in a main event somewhere and it would have been a massive draw against, you know, probably a name that was much bigger than Leon. So I think what this does, if anything, is it just goes to show you how the UFC values Leon Edwards and what he brings to, uh, to, you know, put him in that situation. Yeah, I agree, man, because, um, yeah, everyone was calling out Nate Diaz, like from, we saw, we saw Nate Diaz's name attached to so many different fighters, like, uh, Vicente yeah. Luque just called him out. Colby Covington had been talking about him. Uh, Leon Edwards had mentioned him, but you know, and then all the guys at 155. <laughs> yeah, like, had, yeah, the entire division of 155. The entire division yeah. was talking about Nate Diaz, so, um, and granted, he didn't want to go down there 155. You know, I kind of thought he was going to end up being at 155 one way or another. Um, 
man, so many guys, Tony Ferguson, uh, even Conor McGregor, you know, Michael Chandler, um, so many guys. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for this one to be the, the, the fight that ends up happening, man, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's best case scenario for Leon, man. And, I, and I'm happy for him because of everything that he's went through uh, with the pandemic and all the fights that he was supposed to have. Uh, with Hamzad, with Tyron Woodley, you know, he was supposed to have his day um, a long time ago. He was supposed to have this title shot a long time ago. But, um, you know, stuff just happened. And, and then with the with everything that happened with Bilal, it was an unfortunate situation. So I'm, I'm really happy that Leon's getting this opportunity. You know, a yeah. big payday, a big fight. It's going to be a tough fight. It's, it's no easy task beating Nate Diaz. He's going to have to bring it. He's going to have to be at his best. But, um yeah, this is the best case scenario for Leon for sure. Yeah, no doubt. All right, my friend. Uh, again, no uh, no points up for grabs this Saturday. We'll have to wait an extra week. We'll have to sit on that score for an extra week, but uh, we'll come back with a, uh, a pretty big bang. The next few weeks have some uh, some pretty awesome main events. I haven't seen all the full fight cards yet, but uh, I know we have some some big cards uh, upcoming, and, and certainly the next two pay-per-views are just absolutely loaded. So uh, always fun, buddy. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Absolutely, man. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. I uh, got a week to kind of recover and uh, get back on track. So I'm definitely going to be in my war room uh, getting getting everything back together. So you're going to see a brand new me with this nice. week off, man. Nice. <laughs> Will Brewer joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. It's all about educating yourself, and they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So give them a call, 405 458 9699 plus when you order online we're saving you 15%. Use the discount code Colby Show when you check out online. Visit abotanicalcompany.com. Again, discount code Colby Show. That is abotanicalcompany.com to save 15% off your online order. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.